Blast off on another episode of Hero Paranormal Podcast, broadcasting from the base at La Madre Mountain, just south of Area 51. My name is Ryan, the original outlaw of the airwaves, bringing you an epic episode tonight. Remarkable guest today, M.G. Stevens, and myself have kept in touch for some time, and both have similar views as to the types of entities people may be experiencing in this reality, or at least an affinity of conversation pertaining to figuring out the motives, the rationale, etc. of these beings or entities. M.G. Stevens is a fellow podcaster with a popular show, The Boogeyman Chronicles Podcast, which I have had the good grace of uh, connection with and luck to have been interviewed with M.G. Stevens on her podcast, The Boogeyman Chronicles, episode five, I believe. Um, She is an author, researcher, podcaster, extraordinaire. M.G. Stevens, welcome to the Hero Paranormal Podcast. I'm fine. Uh, Thanks for inviting me. I appreciate it. It was was really an honor because... I really enjoyed, and a lot of people um, also enjoyed uh, your uh, episode on my podcast. So when you asked me, I was like, oh, my God, yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. Heck, yes. And it's, you know, you have experienced high strangeness, which is so refreshing uh, to have someone who has experienced something similar, uh, something very real. And I don't think people know the half of it, right? Yeah, I mean, I've I've had a lifetime of paranormal activity. Um, It's just, it's just a kind of a way of life, really, for me. It's not like I was, you know, just kind of living this sort of normal, quiet life, and then all of a sudden I had an encounter. It's it's been going on since I was about two, I think, two or three. Yeah, and would you say these entities are something that are very real? And what is your opinion on how these entities interact with humans? And start from a place you're comfortable with. Um, how they interact with humans? I think that we live in a world where I think we've strayed a lot from um, indigenous beliefs. Um, because as soon as like the Christian-y sort of... Um, colonizing belief came in that, you know, none of this exists and it's just God and the devil and there's no other, you know, spirits and that kind of thing. There's no other entities. Once we were told that, I think we really lost sight of the fact that we live in possibly a very interdimensional world. And there are a lot of, um, I think, you know, when we say the veil is thin in this particular area or whatnot, I think we have that have those thin veiled areas of paranormal activity and high strangeness everywhere. And I think um, certain people are just wired to um, see through that veil. And so I think it, it, I don't know, for whatever reason, some people just attract this kind of thing. And um, so entities, you know, they can range from, from demonic to 
you know, grandma <laughs> that passed away, you know what I mean? And, sure. you know, or angelic, you know, and so it's different for everybody. I mean, I listen like you, I'm sure to paranormal podcast constantly and it's just, um, it just runs the gamut. You know what I mean? It just, there's, um, I think we live in a world where these things do exist and we, um, are constantly told that they're not. And the one thing I've kind of gone along in my life where it's like people say, oh, indigenous people are more spiritual. And it's like, I don't think they're more spiritual. I just think they never had that sort of cut off that thing where it was like, you know, when you're a kid, you believe in Santa and this and that. And then when you get to a certain age, nope, no more, no more fantasy, no more, uh, you know, otherworldly things going on. And so adults are always telling you, no, that doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. So in indigenous cultures, they don't really have that. They don't have that cutoff point, you know what I mean, where, you know, these sort of things don't exist because in indigenous culture, they always exist. And um, so they're always, you know, either warned or they're always in touch with those things. And so um, I just, I don't think they're more, more spiritual. I just think that there wasn't that sort of thing where we were told that they don't exist. So I think that, you know, certain cultures are more in, in tune and more in touch with um the paranormal and otherworldly things, and um, unfortunately, non-indigenous cultures are not so in touch. And so, I think we have a lot of people out there that kind of panic when it comes to the paranormal. I talk to a lot of people who, uh, you know, just cannot believe it. They're like, I, I, "Am I crazy?" And I'm like, "No, you really did see this thing, you know." And, and they kept, "Yeah, I did see it, or I did hear it, or I did feel it." And when I talk to indigenous people, they're, they, they don't have that. Am I crazy? They just know it. No, I saw this thing, you know. So it hits the paranormal and internal encounters and, you know, those sorts of things, they hit everyone differently. I agree 100%. And, you know, it is it is kind of like when you get to a certain age, you have that magic stolen from you in many cultures. The floor is yours. Where do you want to get started? We can go into maybe some of your experiences from a paranormal perspective or other things you've encountered through the research or personal experience, UFOs, or just good stories, whatever you like. Okay. Um, well, I um, grew up neurodivergent. As you know, I'm autistic and I have ADHD. And I am in the process of writing a book about um, how or why, or maybe just starting the conversation as to why a lot of neurodivergent people tend to have more UFO encounters. Um, I talked, I just interviewed Kathleen Martin, who is the niece of Betty and Barney Hill. And I asked her point blank, I said, is there a link between race, uh, culture, religion, age, gender, you know, neurodivergence, and she said at least 80% of the people who um, claim to be abducted or experiencers are neurodivergent, um, and my, with my mother and, and me included. Um, so I, I'm very interested in that, and I'm very interested in, um, you know, the, the culture of apparently a lot of uh, Native, Indigenous people, and Irish people tend to be more abducted than other folks. Um, other culture. So it, mm -hmm. that's also interesting to me. But, um, but yeah, my, my, I always felt weird and different growing up. And I always knew there was something different about me. And I grew up in a house where the paranormal was 
an everyday thing. And I didn't have a real sounding board, even though my mother was a really well-known psychic in that area that we lived in. We really didn't talk about it. And that's what and people were like, wait a minute, your mom was a psychic and you didn't really talk about it? I said, no, because we really, it, it just, it was something she did and I just was kind of living my life over here playing with Barbies and, you know, it was just a thing. And I remember my very first encounter, I was, um, from what I can remember, my mom always said, she was like, you were always like talking to something, <laughs> which freaked her out. She was like, every time I would go to the door, I would always hear you babbling to something. And it was just like, you, you were talking with a purpose. So it wasn't like baby babble. It was, you know, it was like you were talking to something and responding to it, which creeped me out. Um, but um, I remember as a little baby, I don't know how old I was exactly, but I remember I was old enough to stand up in my crib. And I remember I had this very strange encounter where I was able, I, I looked up and I saw something floating above the crib. And I remember pointing at it. But yet I remember in that moment kind of almost being split. And I was, my, the thing floating was me. And I remember looking down at me in the crib. And it was so weird. I, I, to, this, to this day, I have no idea what that is. Um, and it happened again about a, a year or two later. Um, I, it was Easter, and I was outside, and I was very cranky. I probably needed a nap, and um, I was not having it. You know, my mom and my sister were trying to, like, hey, you know, like, Easter eggs and fun. And I was like, no. And, um <laughs> I was just really cranky, and the same thing happened. I still remember looking up and being really terrified by something floating, but yet I remember looking down, being the thing floating, looking down at the scene. Um, I was so perplexed by this because I, I remembered it like, you know, it was yesterday. I talked to Paul Eno, who is a demonologist. He's a, a very well-versed, experienced uh, paranormal investigator. He's been doing this, you know, 50-plus mm -hmm. years. And he worked with Ed and Lorraine Warren, and he worked on many cases. And I said, what the heck was that? <laughs> he said um, "He said it could have been a shifting identity point. And um, the thing with Paul and his son, Ben, is that they have experienced so much paranormal activity out of the, the realm of the sort of typical, you know, the typical UFO, the typical haunting. They've had so many interesting encounters that they've had to kind of come up with their own glossary of terms just to kind of just to kind of put a name to something. And so he said it sounds like an, a shifting identity point where, and he told me, this is his words, in the multiverse you just kind of became two entities or whatever and you saw yourself and the other side saw you and you just kind of, you know, became like, you know, broken up in, in a way. And, and I still don't really, I, my brain, I can't wrap around that, but um, he's, he's very smart. And I kind of listen to what he, you know, I kind of trust what he, he, it, you know, he experienced so much. So I really trust what he says. So um, maybe, you know, hopefully it was just something like that. I don't know. Cause I, I, when I think about that particular, those particular incidences, I'm, I'm like, what if that happens again, you know, and I'm an adult now and it freaks me out. Um, so I get kind of creeped out by that. But, um, but yeah, those were my two first encounters. I have no idea still. I mean, I, I kind of hope that Paul knows what he's, you know, talking about when it comes to that. Um, but, I, I, you know, at the same time, I'm kind of like, what if that happens again? So those, mm -hmm. those, those two encounters were probably 
the ones that really shift me to my core because they're not typical like, oh, I saw a ghost or I saw a UFO or something. It was it was my the very fabric of my being, I guess, being split in some way. I, I don't, you know what I mean? It, it, mm-hmm. Again, I don't really know how to put it into words other than what Paul said. So, um, yeah, that those were my two encounter, my first two encounters. And then I remember um, after that, I remember just being very ultra sensitive. And you know, here I am. I'm I'm young. I'm very young. I'm a new human being on this planet, and I'm experiencing everything for the first time and I'm also neurodivergent so I'm seeing the world differently than other people neurotypicals do you know so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm looking at everything very differently and I'm having these weird encounters and all my life I've wondered two things is it me am I crazy or everyone goes through this right they like everyone sees these things they feel these things right right like right you know and and, and you know, so many, um, so many times I thought I, I, I'm, I'm probably crazy. I'm probably crazy. But as I got older and I started learning about the paranormal world and the spiritual realm, it then, you know, became apparent to me. It was like, oh, you're one of these people. You're, you're, for lack of a better word, psychic or intuitive or what have you. You know what I mean? But I, I started to kind of clue in as to who I was, what I was, and then it, it started to make a little bit more sense. And it started to kind of, you know, once you know, once you realize you're not crazy and it's a thing, this is a thing people go through, um, it, it becomes a little less scary. And so, you know, from then on, it was just uh, seeing things, feeling things. I was ultra, ultra sensitive. I felt like an exposed nerve in some way. Mm-hmm. And so I remember wherever I went, I don't care if it was an office building. I don't care if it was an old home. I don't care if it was a new home. I don't care if it was a plot of land. Um, wherever I was, if there was something there, again, like we talked about earlier, the thin, you know, the, the, the thin veil Sometimes people can, I guess you could call it, just, just pick up on those those sort of areas where the, the, the veil is really thinner than in some places. And if there was something there, whether it be demon, ghost, spirit, some, you know, some sort of elemental, I mean, whatever it was, I don't know. But I would always feel, um, feel a presence of something. You know, if someone died or whatever, I just knew these things. And I would you know, tell my family, like, oh, someone died in that house, or someone died on that land, or, you know, in my own backyard, I, I remember, I, I lived in a very rural part of the south, and when I was there, I was in a very new part of town, this town was so rural, we didn't even have a grocery store or a hospital, and I remember playing in the backyard, and I remember just being watched from, like, I, have, I had a backyard, and then we had a canal, and then there was, a, like, an undeveloped lot of land and it was basically just forest and I remember being stared at by something so just so intently intensely that I I literally had to go inside it was just like there's something out there watching me and it's creeping me out and I would come inside and play and I could feel stuff on the the, you know the property Um, my mother sensed a lot of things on that property as well her friends because she had a lot of friends uh, developing their ESP so they would come over and they would since a lot of stuff on that property. So it was just a constant everyday thing. I would go in my I big walk-in closet. I'm going there and play, and something would be in there with me. I could feel it. Um, at night, I couldn't sleep. 
because something was there would not let me sleep. Whatever whatever it was, I don't know. It it would always uh, really kind of become more, um, uh, I guess, active at night. Sure. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was terrifying. But yeah, my my most terrifying encounters, I think, when it came to everyday haunting type stuff, was my my father's second wife. She she had a um, this was my my first stepmother. My father's been married six times, and uh, one of those. And so my um, my first stepmother um, had a condo in this particular part of town, and we used to go there. Um, on the weekends, uh, my dad, you know, her, her and my dad were married. They lived there, but I would visit on the weekends, and it was the most terrifying place. I don't know what was there, but I do know that it didn't like me, and it made its presence known to me all the time. Every single time I went there, um, all weekend long, if I spent the week, you know, like, like say a couple of weeks there in the summer, every day, every night, this thing would just torment me. And um, I still don't know today, to, to this day, I, I don't know what that was. I don't know if it was demonic. It kind of felt very evil, but not exactly demonic. Um, but it, it just felt very like it took a lot of pleasure in torturing me. It just, it just loved it. It was like a, kind of like a mean older sibling, just constantly and, and unrelenting. It would not stop. There was no rest. There was no, you know, break. I was just constantly tormented, and it was a terrifying place to be. It was, it was, and it was really hard for me because as a kid, I was really happy to see my dad and my stepmom, and I was happy to spend time with them and away from, you know, all the the craziness of, you know, the sort of this, you know, the, you know, going to school and all of that it was a little, nice little escape for me. But yet, I was constantly tormented by something I couldn't see, and so I developed, you know kind of like what I kind of term as a paranormal PTSD and I had to sleep with the lights on and I, you know, could get, I had to sleep with all the doors open in case I had to run out and run into my parents' room. Um, it was just, it, it was, you know, really terrifying. And, and that's another thing that I'm very passionate about is getting people to talk about their encounters so that they can uh, find some sort of solace um you know, realizing, okay, you're not crazy. You did experience something. And yes, there is such a thing as paranormal PTSD. I, I talk to people to this day who, you know, have had one encounter, two encounters, a lifetime of encounters. It mm-hmm. doesn't matter. Um, I've, I've talked to so many people who still at the age of 70 something are, you know, still sleeping with the lights on because of what they've been through. They, they, they have to sleep with, you know, the, the doors open or closed. The lights have to be on. Or, they, you know, they, they can't sleep alone. They have to have someone in the next room or someone in the room with them. I mean, it's, it's or they have to have, like, a, you know, the TV on fuzz or something. It's, it's really um, interesting how, you know, people want to poo-poo paranormal encounters, but this is a real thing. People will, you know, go through this. It, 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 it has the same effect, you know, it, it, as a, say, you know, a combat vet or, you know, someone who has been through a really terrifying encounter you know, paranormal PTSD is nothing to laugh at. This is something that's very real, and I've talked to many people that suffer with it, including myself, you know. Yeah, no, I think it's a very real thing, too, especially, you know, given the fact of some of the involvement with the paranormal and what people are seeing. And so that's the question, and I'm with you. Why isn't this accepted by the media as of yet? Although it is getting better, a lot better, why isn't this a bigger story? You know, it seems like, um, 
experiencers are getting some media time, but uh, there is some military involvement now on the, in, you know, via UFOs and stuff with the paranormal on TV. Why do you think um, it's taking so long for it to get better? Um, I think it, it goes back to that um, being maybe the media was controlled, you know, by a certain kind of voice where it was like the old white dude, you know, saying that, oh, these things don't exist. You know what I mean? I mean, how many, mm-hmm. like, like, like I just mentioned, you know, indigenous cultures, we don't really have that separation. But as soon as you get older, um, you know, in non-indigenous cultures, you have people saying that that doesn't exist. Santa Claus doesn't exist. UFOs don't exist. Bigfoot don't exist. So you have that constant, um, you know, pressure to not believe in the paranormal even as you're experiencing it, you know, I, I grew up in that kind of world where, you know, I was running, you know, I, I, would, I would get, you know, pushed or something. I would get shoved and I would go and tell, or I would be tormented at night and I would go and tell, run in, you know, to my parents' bedroom, you know, my, my dad and stepmom is, something just pushed me, something, oh, come on, you're just imagining it, you know, that doesn't exist, it isn't real. So it, it's, it's, a, it's a horrible place to be in, you know, because you feel so unsupported because you know you're going through something, but the people that should believe you don't. And I think that's just been kind of the voice, you know, all over um, the media all these years. And I think, too, um, the military has had a big involvement. I think it really did start with Roswell and, you know, those sort of incidences where, you know, nope, nope, not a, not a UFO, it's a weather balloon, weather balloon. And, you know, I think maybe, you know, you know, maybe the military has had a kind of a, a, a sort of a hold on the media and what they put out, too. I mean, I've heard a lot of stories where, um, you know, a group of people saw a UFO and they went to, you know, the news, the local news station, and they told them and they went to report it. And the, they got a call from the military saying, you're not going to report this. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You're, you're, you're not going to report it. And I've heard so many of those stories. Um, so I think a lot of I think uh, maybe maybe some is the military, but I think a lot of people um, grew up being scared of being laughed at, ostracized. You know, um, it's, it's just it just was a thing, and it just kind of permeated. And you know, thank God for all the brave souls, uh, because in my day, in the late '70s, early '80s, we didn't have a whole lot about this. You know what I mean? There wasn't websites and books and you know all that kind of stuff i mean the only sort of paranormal pioneers i had in my day really that i knew about were um ed lorraine warren and they were laughed at for decades you know they were they were considered kooks and you know opportunists and scam artists and all kinds of stuff so um you know you had those few brave souls that would come out and say yeah i have been abducted or yeah i have a ghost in my house um, and even then, people were just so quick to poo-poo it, and it, it was really unfortunate because I think more people should have and could have come forward, and we could have started this conversation sooner. We sort of we, we could have been normalizing paranormal encounters and the discussion around them sooner. Um, and you know, who knows who that could have helped? You know, I mean. I, I know of a lot of stories where people had paranormal encounters and just took it to their grave. They wouldn't talk about it, and it tormented them. It, they Again, paranormal PTSD, they, they had nightmares every night about these things that they saw or felt or 
what something was following them, you know, and, and they were scared to say anything because they were told that what was going on was not real. Or they tried to tell someone and someone laughed at them, so they clammed up and never talked again. Um, that's really upsetting to me. I don't like it when people are not allowed to at least talk. You know, <laughs> they're not right. allowed to at least verbalize, look, I just saw something. I, I've been going through something. You know, talking sometimes really does break the spell. Um, or it really does make you just feel better. I, I, you know, I don't know how many people out there, if you have something bothering you, sometimes just verbalizing it, um, it helps it, makes you feel better, makes you feel, you know, more at peace. And so I think um, the silence, the silencing, I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, I know a lot of, um, uh, heard a lot of stories of scientists who wanted to start studying the paranormal, but their peers or, you know, the, the people above them or whoever, you know, were people at the university that were like, absolutely not. You're not going to study the paranormal. It's just ridiculous. Um, people in the military. I mean, how many people are just now, like Robert Solis and, and all the people that he talks to, uh, these people are now coming forward who have been in the service for years and years, and they're now being able to, you know, t- uh, uh, tell what they know and, and what they've seen. Um so I, I think there's a lot of factors involved when it comes to the silencing of telling or talking about the paranormal. It's um, it's terrible. I, I, I really it angers me because it's not fair, and a lot of people um, it's doing a, a huge disservice really because there's a lot of people out there that could find a lot of peace or could find you know the meaning to their life or you know whatever something mm-hmm. they you know what I mean like it's it's not it's it's um. The, the silencing of paranormal encounters and the giggle factor, yes, thankfully, the, now, nowadays, it's, it's a lot less, but it's not where I would like it to be. And I, and I know that from you know, other people's standpoint as well. Um, it, it, the whole conversation uh, just needs to be normalized. And I'm hoping um, that you know, in the next five, ten years that we will get to the point where we, you know, there's no more giggling we can just openly say, yeah, I've got a ghost in my house, or yeah, I got a demon in my house, or yeah, um, I saw a UFO, and, and there's no giggle factor. There's just like, okay, really, wow, cool. And, you know, it becomes commonplace. That's that's what I hope, and I hope that um, more people get help for paranormal PTSD, because I know a lot of people that suffer with it that um, are trying to find help, and they they can't, other than paranormal, like, investigative groups, they don't really have a lot of uh, help out there, you know, just full on therapy, counseling. Um, I, I know a lot of people that, that, you know, had a paranormal encounter and tried to talk to a regular therapist about it. And the therapist um, pretty much told them they were crazy, mm-hmm. told them that's, that's a hallucination. So um, I'm hoping like you and like everyone else out there that, you know, this sort of thing becomes uh, normalized really. Absolutely. And, you know, there, I agree a hundred percent. There are a lot, there, there should be more, more care in the field and not, a, not as quick, um, judgment, but specialists and analysts from, as we mentioned, some government agencies have delved into locations, uh, of high strangeness, whether it's areas like Dulce, New Mexico or purported UFO areas or underground base locations, which are usually in proximity of Native American lands, why do you think 
the government is getting so involved in the study of some of these locations? And what do you think the connection between the uh, unidentified aerial phenomena and Native American lore might be? Well, um, geez, I don't know. There's that, that's like 10 different conversations right there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, when it comes to the government, I mean, I've had relatives that work for the government and they always told me never trust the American government. They're always up to no good. Yeah, <laughs> I was, yeah. I was raised like, you know, hearing that. So, um, you know, you know, as well as me, you know, these sorts of things are usually black budget type you know, projects that even the president doesn't even know about, you know what I mean? And, and, you know, how many times did, you know, Jimmy Carter and and Bill Clinton kind of inquire about these kinds of things and be like, what is going on? And we're told, you know, don't, don't think about it. Don't worry about it. Um, Or we're told only maybe what they wanted to hear or something, you know? Um, I think there's different branches within the government that could be doing stuff like this. And, um, why they're being allowed to investigate. I don't know. I think it's kind of strange because, you know, you would think that whatever black budget, something or other would say, don't, don't be concerned with this. I I don't know. Um, As far as the the UAPs and the sort of high strangeness and near, you know, reservations and areas where natives um, either lived or have lived or are living, um, that is something that I would like to know as well. Um, I mean, there are stories uh, going back, you know, hundreds of years of uh, indigenous people in America, um, and even South America, Central America, uh, talking about star people Mm -hmm. and talking about our brothers from the sky and and stuff like that. So, you know, what what makes us think that, you know, these, you know, aliens, whatever you want to call them, what what makes us think that they, they haven't been visiting Earth all this time? You know what I mean? So it, it, it just, you know, I, I believe I believe they've been visiting this whole time. If, if there is such a thing, why would they have, you know, not visited until just the 40s? That's ridiculous. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm very interested in the encounters, like, before Roswell, before all of that, you know, where we had, um, <clears throat> excuse me, we had um, encounters back in the 1800s and early 1900s of, um for lack of a better word, spaceships, you know, and, and mm-hmm. people seeing things. Um, and, and, you know, the, I love reading old, like really old newspapers where they have those clippings where it, it shows, you know, yeah, so-and-so was on his farm and then he saw this flying ship, this flying craft or something, you know. Um, so I think, I, I, I just find it really interesting because, like again, going back to the indigenous um, encounters uh, of, of indigenous people. I, you know, I, I was talking to someone the other day about Bigfoots and Sasquatch and stuff, and I said, look, I said, indigenous people have been telling non-natives about Sasquatch and their encounters with Sasquatch for hundreds of years, mm-hmm. literally, and non-natives are just now starting to come around and go, oh, there's such thing as Bigfoots, and we're like, yeah. <laughs> It's been like that, you know, because every tribe has a different experience with, um, uh, you know, Sasquatch, you know, and the Tulinga people up in the northwest, uh, um, they, there's, you know, their their idea, their impression of Bigfoot is, a, a, I forgot what they call it, but it's it's an evil spirit, and they, you know, they're, they're warned not to go into certain parts of, 
um, the fort right. because it'll right. it'll kidnap you or kill you. Um, they have a lot of missing uh, person cases where they they attribute these missing people to this particular Bigfoot type monster. Um, and then Cherokee culture, um, from what I've been told and what I've grown up with, is that um, Bigfoots are kind of like this sort of respected brother. You know, it, it, he's we kind of view him from afar. And as long as we keep our distance, you know, he's cool, we're cool, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And, and we're always sort of, it, it's more of a benevolent sort of relationship. It's not the sort of evil spirit that, you know, is trying to get us. We respect their space, they respect ours, and that's just kind of how it goes. Um, so every every tribe has their own, uh, ex, you know, Bigfoot-type creature that um, they have their own experience, whether good or bad. But, you know, Native people, again, have been telling non-Natives, like, yeah, this stuff happens, like, a lot. And, um, you know, we've been laughed at by non-Natives for years. And then all of a sudden, now the non-Natives are like, oh, there is such a thing, you know. And, again, it's that catching up of, you know, the non-Native cultures who have been told these things don't exist. Now they're starting to see, oh, yeah, they do exist. And so they're, they're catching up to, you know, those things, so... Absolutely. And I think you're, you're absolutely right that these, this, the tricksters and other paranormal entities with trickster like traits, you mentioned the Sasquatch, according to some tribes are often in, at least in, at least in cultural and family lore of certain cultures, they are deeply rooted. Why do you think that even though just about every culture has a form or definition of magic, some of them have just been cut off from their past and they just don't believe in a lot of the paranormal, which uh, even when it comes to UFOs? Um, I think a lot of tribes, um, as you know, a, a lot of tribes, you know, some tribes have been very lucky to be, have been more um, the isolated mm -hmm. and not as colonized, whereas other tribes have been completely obliterated. They have had to assimilate into other tribes, you know, there's, there's languages that are no longer, that, that, that no longer exist because of colonization. So a lot of um, tribes have been colonized to the point where they, you know, accepted white ways, white culture and religion. They became very Christianized. You know, a lot of my family were very Christianized and they were very, um, you know, a little too accepting of white ways because they were promised, hey, look, adopt our ways and then you can keep your land, you can stay on your land. Mm -hmm. And that's what they did. And of course, they were backstabbed. So, um, you know, later on, they lost their land. But, you know, I think what it is is that a lot of, um, there, there, there are some, there are some tribes who just, I think, weren't allowed weren't able they were more like i said more colonized they were more whitewashed and <clears throat> they were more just accepting of white ways and that sort of their their old way of life the traditional ways those will fade away with every generation and you have to be careful with elders because when an elder passes away there goes language there goes formulas there goes stories there's there goes the you know our creation stories myth and lore um you know, a whole library, you know, disappears when an elder passes away. And so, um, you know, a lot of tribes, their elders died from disease, and they were left with just not even knowing about their past and about their ways, you know, their traditional ways. And so they assimilated into other uh, tribes. Um, 
it's just how it is. It's the unfortunate, you know, the the unfortunate, you know, result of lots of colonization. Absolutely, it is, and you know, we've seen it in so many places, and. It does seem like the United States has these strange portal areas, a lot of times, as we mentioned, in proximity of Native American land, which sometimes have other strange factors, such as shapeshifter lore, cattle mutilations, and military involvement, sometimes, or at least government. What are your thoughts on the, the government coming in and starting to study you know, the paranormal in some of these areas? Um, I think this... Uh... I mean, you and I just discussed Skinwalker Ranch and whatnot. I think it's, you know, whatever they're hoping to gain. I mean, you know, I always told a friend who frequents the, um, the Skinwalker Ranch, I always told him, I said, I feel that in a few years' time, possibly some faction of the U.S. government is going to maybe take over that land and just kind of kick off whoever is, is on there, whether it's Brandon Fugle or whoever, whoever whoever has that land at that point, it's just going to be like, okay, it's our land now, go. And they're going to um, keep anyone off that land. And they're, you know, I mean, I've seen it um, in Sedona and other places. There was, you know, um, high strangeness in a particular um, area. And all of a sudden there's this military presence where, you know, and there's like, you know, campers and hikers were frequenting this land because they were able to, you know, it was, it was a uh, parkland. And then all of a sudden all this high strangeness started happening. And before you know it, they've got, you know, rifles in their faces by these, you know, camouflage dressed dudes. And they're like, no, you're not allowed to be on this land. And it kicked them off. Mm-hmm. So um, there's all kinds of stuff going on. Um, I don't know what they're hoping to gain. Are they hoping to make contact with aliens? I mean, what what is it? I mean, what is going on? Is there such a thing as the the, the Dolce base? Do they have contact with aliens already and they're hoping to make other contact? I mean, what the heck is going on? I really don't know. Um, we can sit here and, and, you know, throw ideas at the wall all day long. But, um, yeah, I mean, the government coming in and – Studying this again, what are they looking for? Are they are they hoping to find some sort of, um, you know, it's always self-serving. That that's my that's right. my opinion. At the end of the day, it's self-serving. What are they looking for? Are they looking for something to help with military, uh, you know, weaponry? Uh, you know, are they trying to f- find a way to cloak themselves? It's it's always having to do with war <laughs> and weapons. And, you know, being able to have, being able to kind of be one up on the enemy in case one arises. And, uh, you know, I don't know. It just, it just seems like it's very self-serving if the government's coming in and studying and, um, you know, inquiring and and then confiscating land and um, keeping that land for themselves and hoping to, you know, do whatever. You know, again, I always was told don't trust the American government and I don't. Mm-hmm. For many reasons, but um, but yeah, I, I I think at the end of the day, it's it's just I I just have a pessimistic view. I think it's very self-serving. I just think they're up to no good. Absolutely, and you know it's so wild doing a podcast from a human perspective. You've had some amazing guests on your podcast, and I know you've had some of the same guests I have. And sometimes after hearing their stories, life changes a little or is impacted. Something, um, can you tell us something you can't forget that you've heard any theories or stories from guests other than myself, of course, of things that have impacted you, whether it's military involvement, places like Roswell or, or some of these other areas? 
Um, yeah, I mean, as far as military involvement, I mean, let's go to Terry Lovelace and his, his incident at Devil's Den. Mm-hmm. Um, the things that stay with me are when, you know, he and his uh, friend Toby were looking, you know, they had just got, they had just had their encounter and they're looking out the tent and uh, Terry goes, what are those little kids doing out there? And Toby is literally crying saying, dude, those, those aren't, those aren't little kids. Those aren't little kids. And of course, Terry looks out and sees these little grays milling about, you know, looking around. Um, and then as soon as they get back to the base, um, the the really awful things that they were subjected to, you know, truth serum and hypnosis sessions against their will and, you know, all of this really awful stuff, you know, just because the military thinks they can. And they know they can. Right. Um Things like Deborah Cobble White, who um, you know was uh, working with Bud Hopkins, as you know, um, uh, she told me, or you know, it's, it's no secret that she was tormented and her phones tapped and her house buzzed by black helicopters uh, for at least two years or more. Um, you know, um, so yeah, and even uh, Linda Moulton Howe, I just heard, you know, she was talking about how she, her phone's been tapped for years. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's there. It, there. I, I don't know what the paranoia paranoia is because, especially in this day, because we're all we're. I mean, would they, they they think we're gonna sell secrets or something? I mean, what the hell? Um, but it's just it's just interesting how the government is very very interested in these encounters and the people that have them and um, will stop at nothing to intimidate and um, and silence these people. That's true. And I think you, you've obviously spoken with a lot of folks who have had these, I think you mentioned some strange, almost men in black experiences, kind of going along those lines. What are your thoughts of Area 51? What are your opinions of Area 51? And do you think it's a real thing? Yeah, I mean, anytime the government is keeping a secret, my dad always told me this, he said, anytime you... <clears throat> Keep something a secret, it makes people want to know about it more. And they would not be, I mean, you, you know, you, I'm sure you've been in that area where you, it's not just going up to the gate and looking in, you can't even go within a certain mile radius of the place mm-hmm. um, because of the uh, armed guards that are, you know, positioned in certain areas and to, to warn or shoot to kill. Um, so why, if, if there's nothing to hide, why all the secrecy? why all of the, you know, the armed guards and the, you know, the standoffs and all of these things, you know, that, that these guards have with people, uh, why, why, if there's nothing to hide? So there's something going on. What exactly? I don't know. I can't say I've never seen it, but Bob Lazar seems to be pretty, um, trustworthy. I, I believe him. And, um, I don't know. I just, I, you know, it, it, it's always that thing. If there's nothing to hide, why are you hiding? <laughs> you mm-hmm. know what I mean? If there's no secrets, then why are you being so secretive? Uh, what, what's the deal with that? Uh, it's just, to me, it's just, um, it's, it's just a lot of, you know, suspiciousness. Uh, I mean, again, why? Why is there, why are you hiding if there's nothing to hide? So it's just, I think that their actions speak for themselves. If there's, you know, people... Um, you know, guarding the place within your certain mile radius, you can't even get up to the gate. I mean, what does that tell you? They're, they're, they're trying to protect something. They're trying to keep something secret. They're trying to hide something. They don't want you to know. 
and they're going to do everything they can to keep you out. I mean, how many people maybe have they shot on site or something, you know what I mean? And you never, you never know about those things. I hate to sound like a conspiracy. There is something like a fringy kind of person, but I mean that, you know, I, I just don't try, again, I don't trust the government and anything they say because there's always so much um, uh, secrecy around everything they do. And they're again, self-serving. There's, they're, they're just, there's, there's just so much going on there, you know. I mean, if, if the the Tic Tac video hadn't been leaked, would we even have, you know, these discussions right now? You know what sure. I mean? Yeah. And that's the thing, you know. It's just so wild. And you've spoken with folks and done some research, I'm sure, into Roswell, and that's a perfect example. What What are your thoughts of what may or may not have taken place back then? I'm not an expert on the subject. It's probably just looked at it from a research perspective, but I don't know. I'm trying to form an opinion from a research perspective, and it does seem like the involvement, the government involvement back then was very shifty, back and forth, and a lot of disinformation. What What are your thoughts of the whole Roswell incident? Well, I think this was one of the first encounters that the government really, or the military really did have, like, they, this was like the first big thing. And they, they had no dress rehearsal. So they were just kind of like, oh, shoot, what do we do? What do we do with this? And so they were kind of um, at a place where they were like, should we tell the public or should we not tell the public? And I think this goes back to, and I've heard a lot of people say this, Orson Welles, War of the Worlds, you know, afraid of mass hysteria, afraid of chaos, afraid of people, you know, committing suicide and, you know, losing their minds and just, you know, running, running uh, amok in the streets. And, you know, um, how many... Uh, B, uh, 50s B movie, UFO movies, have we seen where uh, the, the UFO, you know, these, you, see, you see the saucers and people are running to and fro and they're screaming and, you know, they're running, the cars are running into each other, you know what I mean? So that, I think that shows you right there where people's minds were back then. They were, you know, or the military at least, they were just scared, like, look, people are going to lose their crap. <laughs> we cannot tell them that there's aliens out there because, you know, there's going to be mass hysteria. So, um, I think Roswell was kind of like the first big thing for the military to go, okay, this from now on, it's going to be weather balloons and it's going to be ball lightning and it's that, that's our story. We're going to stick to this. And um, to me, when you're researching stuff like this, I always go to the, the not, for, okay, yeah, we know what the military said. We know that they sat there with the, the weather balloon and they took pictures and, but Talk to the people, the, 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 the other eyewitnesses. And this is where, where I get, if you're going to research something, talk to the people that actually saw the dead alien bodies or saw the actual craft. Or um, I forgot her name, but it was the, the little girl. She was, uh, she was very young at that time. They had a piece of the metal from one of the crafts, I think, and mm -hmm. she was playing with it in the, the sheriff's office. So talk to people like that who have nothing to hide who are, you know, aren't the military, aren't the government, and they, they know what they saw, they're, you know, that they were right there on the ground, they saw it. And you listen to those people. Listen, you know, psych basic psychology says, listen to the people that have nothing to hide. You know, they, they, they're, they're going to share their stories and be like, yeah, this is what I saw, here you go. And, you know, they're not going to sit there and lie to you. Why would they do that? So I don't, again, don't trust the government, <laughs> don't trust their stories. Listen to the people that actually have nothing to hide. They were right there. They saw everything. And uh, I, I go off of that, you know, when it comes to things like this. Absolutely. And, 
you know, kind of getting off the government thing for a bit, even though I love the MIB thing, this is sort of along those lines. What are your thoughts of some of these other entities that we find that are quite popular paranormal entities, such as the hat man? Have you come across that in your research? And what are your thoughts on that? Um, you know, this is the thing I, I, again, I'm, I'm, I don't really know. I don't really know about this. Is it demonic? Is it another kind of entity? You know, I, I, like I said, I grew up in a, you know, later on in sort of a Christian, more christian household where everything was God or the devil. That's it. And if there was something evil, then that, that's, it was a demon. Um, but there are, I think, other entities out there. You know, what is Slenderman? Is it a tulpa? You know what I mean? Is it, is it something that people have imagined? Um, is it a demon just taking a different form? Is it, um, you know, an entity that's just unique unto itself? Um, it, these sorts of things are really hard to, to explain because, again, these, you know, the, the sort of interdimensional world that we live in, you know, we have to start kind of telling ourselves, okay, we're not the only ones here, you know. And I was talking to a friend the other day about, you know, how, like, neurodivergent people are kind of wired to see through uh-huh. these sort of veils. And, you know, more than most people. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, are, are these entities, Tulpas, again, are, are they just unique entities? We just, I, I think we're going to be talking about this for many years to come because I don't think we're really going to ever understand the paranormal like we want. Um, you know, look at, look at our ancestors. Look at the ancient Celtic people. You know what I mean? They were dealing with the paranormal and they were trying to figure it out and put names to what they saw. And we're doing the same thing in this age. You know what I mean? Nothing's really changed, you know? We're, we're human beings living this experience. And when something comes through those dimensions or through that thin veil, we're sitting there like, what? You know, and we're trying to come up with a name to this thing. And I think we're just no different than our ancestors. We're, we're going to be forever wondering, questioning, talking, you know, milling it, milling, you know, mulling it over, you know, trying to figure it out. Again, I just don't know what these things are. I mean, they have a, a, an evil presence to them, a lot of them, and someone would immediately go, oh, demon, you know, uh, um, and, and I'm trying to kind of break myself out of that. You know, what if it isn't a demon? What if it, there are just evil entities, like the one that tormented me all those years? Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't feel demonic because mm, demons have a certain energy signature. Um, I've, I've seen, I've, I've been like, you know, I've had a, a person who uh, called my mother and I, we used to do these sorts of things, uh, cleansings and things like that. And, you know, you could feel the evil from the street. You know, if it's in a house or building, you could feel it from the street. You know it's there and you know it's a demon. It's just unmistakable. But some of these entities aren't demons and they are so very evil. Um, they just have a different energy signature. So that's how I, I kind of know that they're different. But, um, again, what are they exactly? I don't know. What spawns them? What, what, you know, where do they come from? Were they summoned, you know, or, or, or did they just exist? Are they just, you know, are, did, did, are evil, you know, beings just evil beings? I don't know. It's, it's one of those, like, mysteries that the paranormal, you know, paranormal folks like you and me and everyone else, we're going to be discussing this for years and years to come. I don't think we're ever really going to figure it out. I agree. And I think that, yeah, these paranormal entities are called tons of different things. And the semantics is where everybody's getting mixed, messed up and mixed up. And 
Now, you ha- you've had demonologists on your show, and what kind of a job is that? Can you tell us a little bit about um, any experiences you've had talking to demonologists and specialists that are in that uh, area? Um, I don't know a whole lot about it, even though I was in the Christian-y sort of, you know, fundamentalist Christian, you know, world for a while. Um, to, to, from what I've seen, you know, the, the demonologists um, usually have a religious background. They, they usually were studying theology. They were going to seminary or something. And um, they're usually, you know, Christians or Catholics, um, and they, they tend to um, really, I mean, I, the, the Apparently, there's different ranks of demons. There's different categories, and you know they all have names. Um, and you got to think about it, you know, too. I mean, if demons, um, you know, like in the Bible, if they're truly fallen angels, they did have names, they did have ranks, because that's what angels have. So mm-hmm. they're, they, you know, they they have the same abilities and the same power for the most part as angels. They can shape shift. They can do different things. You know, I I, I grew up reading a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of good stories about angels. And how, you know, these people had, like, full of miracle stories about, you know, people who were, say, you know, driving along and their car broke down and they, uh, all of a sudden this person came out of nowhere and fixed the car and then they turn around and that person is, like, totally gone. There's no way they, they could have walked away. So, I mean, stuff like that, you know, these sort of miracle encounters. But then you <laughs> you read other stories where all of a sudden a person turns around and there's, a, a you know, a, a creepy dude who you know, is clearly not human. You know what I mean? But he looks human, but he's not human. And so I think that it goes both ways. I think you can have good experiences with angels and bad experiences with demons because they have the same kind of power. But as far as demonologists, I don't know much about that, and I don't really want to get into it because, to me, a demon is a demon is a demon is a demon, and I've, I've had plenty of experiences with them. I've had experiences with really tough ones that were hard to get rid of, that were hard to send away. They were either in a person or they were in a home or, or, or on a actual, like a, an actual plot of land. Um, or um, it is sort of like I had an encounter one time. It was very silly, but it was, it was, it was a demonic thing, but it was, I don't know. It just acted like it didn't really know what it was doing. And one night I was, uh, I had gotten pretty spiritually strong at this point and I was you know not afraid of much and I was just about to get into bed and I saw this entity that looked it was either a, it was either three demons or it was a three-headed demon it was something but it had three heads and I could barely kind of see it but I could see it just enough and it, it just kind of came through and it was trying to scare me and it was like ooh, we're gonna stay here and watch you all night uh, sleeping and isn't that isn't that scary and I was so unfazed at this point because I had seen so much and been through so much. I was just like, whatever. And I got into bed and I pulled the covers up and I, you know, up to my neck and I went to sleep and I slept really great. But I knew those demons were going to go downstairs because I saw them. They were like completely disappointed. I saw them go darn. And they went downstairs and I knew they were going to try to bother my mom. And of course, my mom being one of the most spiritually formidable people I've ever met, she was not going to put up with it either. So mm-hmm. sure enough, in the morning, I walked downstairs and my mom, um, she was just like, you're not going to believe what happened last night. And I said, oh, I bet I will. And so she told me, she said, there was a three-headed demon or maybe a three-headed or maybe it was three of them. I don't know. But they came from upstairs and they, they came down here and tried to bother me. And I, I told them to get lost. And I started laughing at her and she was completely confused and I said, I had the same encounter. I said they were upstairs bothering me, and I told them to get lost, and they came down here, and I knew they would bother you. 
um, and you would tell them to get lost in it, I then I was going to have this story in the morning. I just knew. I saw the whole thing play out. So, um, again, these were demons, but they clearly they were newbies of some kind. They just they weren't scary at all. It was just this ridiculous thing, and it was just like they tried, and we sent them away. So I've, I've dealt with all kinds of demons, I guess, from different ranks or what have you. But, again, I don't really understand the whole demonologist world. I just know that a lot of the ones that I've met are all, um, they all have like a religious background. Yeah. And it's pretty cool that you were able to expel them and I'll do all that, you know. Um, but I agree. These have, there's hierarchies of these things and the people who study them have delineated the hierarchies. And I mean, this goes way back throughout history. And there is, uh, I, I, I am fascinated by the fact that they all have names as well. I think that's just absolutely mm -hmm. crazy. And it, um, kind of speaking about the demonic stuff and some more recent topics, what are your thoughts about this recent, I'm on the fence about this recent Travis Scott concert. Do you think this was some real ritualistic symbology or what is your opinion of that? Um, I, I don't, I haven't really read much into it. I've, I've only, you know, I'm just kind of, you know, reading some of this stuff and just heartbroken for the victims. I mean, right. my God, it's just, it was, I think a lot of it was poor planning really. Um, and they were for warned sure. and, um, you know, again, I'm not really sure because I have been in a situation or several situations where I have seen, say there was a waiting room and at the DMV or something like that, you mm -hmm. know, where, uh, somebody who had clearly had something on him, some kind of demon, some kind of something, some kind of nasty spirit of some kind, came into the room and whatever was on them jumped on other people and kind of had an effect on everybody. So I believe that something like that could happen. I've seen how one person's sort of creepy demonic, uh, you know, presence, whatever's on them can jump off of them and jump onto other people and affect them and get them angry or uh, agitated or aggressive. So maybe there was something like that involved, but um, I, I need to talk to you more about that because I actually haven't heard that theory. Um, I just heard some from like the, you know, sort of the really unfortunate victim standpoint, a lot of the people were trying to flag for help and they weren't getting it. So, um, right. Yeah. And I mean, this goes, every culture has some sort of experience or lore going back to the, the Romans, the Pharaohs, the Canaanites. I mean, every, every, tribe in North America. And like you said, Central America and most cultures, even the Norse cultures and European cultures, it seems like everybody has at least some experience or varying opinions of what some of these entities might be in. Um, before we go uh, and wrap up here, let me make sure and have you tell our listeners where they can keep up with your podcast, what you have going on, etc. Um, right now, I just have the podcast on YouTube. We're going to put it on Spotify and whatnot at some point. But um, it's just the Boogeyman Chronicles. You just type it in. Um, go to YouTube and just type it in. You'll, you can find it there. Um, I wrote a book um, called The Boogeyman Chronicles. I um, am not officially allowed to promote it until uh, January 1st. But, um, but, yeah, I have a book out detailing all of my encounters. Um, and that's pretty much it. It's just the, the, the YouTube page. So that's awesome. Awesome stuff. And, um, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. I know you've been busy and having a lot going on and I just can't, I, I can say that it's made my week to talk to you. So I'm very excited to hopefully have you back on the podcast again and talk soon. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you.
absolutely. Um, anytime, just let me know. Very, very cool talking with M.G. Stevens. There you have it. She is definitely one of the best people I like talking to about these sorts of things because maybe it's because we have such similar experiences and possibly ideas about some of the paranormal activity taking place, whether that be unidentified aerial phenomena near government facilities or Native American lands, or whether that be just things that go bump in the night. The Boogeyman Chronicles is a really cool podcast. I highly recommend you check it out. And, um, you know, I think her neurodivergent and empath ability uh, together make it very interesting. And she's a very apt researcher in getting to the bottom of some of these things and not having the uh, fear factor involved. She's got the guts to call it what it is and say what it is she thinks is going on, whether that be government disinformation or strange entities roaming badlands and paranormally active landscapes near portal areas. She's, she's, she's on point. And just about every culture has a form of it. I love her take on tricksters and paranormal entities and um, the stories she told about her own experiences are just mind blowing. Can't wait to have her back, especially to discuss this new book of hers coming out. And I think that would be a real treat. Thank you so much for everyone listening in. And until next time, keep your eyes to the skies, feet on the ground, but don't forget to take a look around. Off in my time machine, third eye feeling like an evisine. Blast off, blast off, blast off, blast off. Come blast off in my time machine, third eye feeling like an evisine. Blast off, blast off, blast off.